to bring about redemption, to bring the hope of redemption to the whole world. The title of my message today is the last in a series of three. The series is the Behind the Christ Prophecies, and the title of the message today is Jesus, God's Rescue Mission. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 11. But today I want to do something a little different. Rather than looking back 2,000 years ago at the birth of Jesus Christ, I want you to imagine, if you will, just for a moment, that Christmas has not occurred yet. I want you to imagine, if you will, that Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world, has not yet been born. Imagine, if you will, you were a part of the nation of Israel in 730 B.C. Imagine your family is one of the only remaining in all of Israel who worships Yahweh, the one true God. Imagine you are part of a small remnant of believers within a pagan and godless nation. Let me tell you a little bit about your world. Behind me you'll see a map. And you'll notice where you live. You live in the northern kingdom of Israel. It's in green there. To the south is the nation of Judah. Your nations have been split now for a little over 150 years. You were formerly once one people, Israel, but now you are two. You are divided and your families and relatives, some of which they're on the other side. Your nation of Israel is falling rapidly into paganism and idolatry. You're being influenced by a kingdom to the north of you and kingdoms to the east and others on the Mediterranean coast, all of which are pagan. Your king, King Pekah of Israel, has led your nation away from the Lord and has instigated the worship of pagan gods. Moreover, he has assembled an army, your nation's army, and he is beginning to move southward toward Judah to attack her. War is on the mind of everyone in Israel. Meanwhile, in the south, Judah is faring little better. Judah has also fallen away from the Lord. Her king, King Ahaz, has led the nation away from God. He has received word that King Pekah of Israel is coming against him. And he knows that he will need to defend himself in order for Judah to survive. And so King Ahaz assembles a convoy of men. King Ahaz of Judah assembles a small group of men and he fills their sacks with gold and silver from the temple in Jerusalem. And the men travel up 
the Mediterranean Sea coast, through dangerous territory in Israel, all the way up into a land known as Assyria. You see, there's a new and powerful nation that is arising. King Ahaz of Judah has heard of a new power in the ancient Near East known as Assyria. He knows that they are a terrible and powerful people with a tremendous army. And it is his hope that he can persuade this terrible army to join forces with him as Israel, your nation, goes to battle against him. Will Assyria come to Judah's aid? Back in Assyria, King Pekah has signaled the call to battle. You watch with your family as the garrison of troops leave your village and join others in the capital of Samaria and begin to move southward toward Jerusalem to fight Judah. And you weep and you mourn that day. You weep and you mourn because you know that your nation is instigating a war against its own family. You weep and you mourn that day because you know that the Lord God is no longer honored in Israel. Fast forward ten years. The year is 722 B.C. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 8 to 21. Take a look behind me. The Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. The Lord shall set up the adversaries of Rezin against Israel and spur his enemies on. The Syrians before and the Philistines behind, they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore the Lord will cut off head and tail from Israel. The elder and the honorable, he is head. The prophet who teaches lies, he is tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Though through the wrath of the Lord of hosts the land is burned up, and the people shall be as fuel for the fire, no man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry, and he shall devour on the left hand and not be satisfied. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Second Kings 17 Verse 6, the king of Assyria took Samaria, that is Israel, and carried Israel away to Assyria, and placed them in Hala, and by Habor, the river of Gozan, in the city of the Medes. Verse 18, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, and removed them from his sight. While your faithless leaders in Israel led its armies against Judah, Assyria came from the north. 
and overtook your village. They burned your home. They stole all of your belongings. They rounded up your family and your neighbors and made you walk hundreds of miles back on foot to Nineveh, their capital. On account of the faithlessness of your national leaders and on account of the godless behavior of your people, Israel, you have become a slave. You are now in exile for the rest of your earthly existence. Oh God, you cry out, I know you are angry with me. I know you are angry with my countrymen. I know that my nation has been unfaithful to you. But I ask you, O oh God, to show mercy. I ask that you would turn from your anger and show mercy on those who love you. O oh God, please rescue me. Can you send us someone to rescue us from this bondage and slavery? Isaiah 10, 20-25 And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped the house of Jacob will never again depend on Him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness for yet a little while, and the indignation will cease, as will my anger in their destruction. You see, a rescue has been planned. A rescue mission has been planned. The Lord God of Israel is well aware of a faithful remnant that remains. Isaiah, God's prophet, has been prophesying about a coming rescue. A coming rescuer. The Messiah of Israel. You know these prophecies well. You may have them on bookmarks or on posters or pictures at home. Isaiah 7.14 is one of them. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Another, Isaiah 9.6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know of these prophecies. But do you know of the history that undergirds them? Do you know of those in exile who may have caught wind of them? When we read these prophecies, we read these prophecies from a vastly, vastly different perspective than the perspective of an 8th century B.C. Israelite. We read them from a vastly different perspective than one 
who has been taken captive to Assyria for the rest of his existence. Imagine, if you will, how different you would read these prophecies if you yourself were in exile. Imagine the importance and the hope these prophecies would give you as you were under slavery and bondage. It was these kinds of prophecies spoken by Isaiah and those who preceded him that kept the faith alive for the faithful remnant. It was these kinds of prophecies that kept their hope alive in a rescue mission like no other. For there would be no hope without a rescue. The small remnant of believing Israelites in the 8th century B.C. were awaiting Christmas Day from exile in Assyria. They were waiting for the anointed one of God, called the Messiah in the Old Testament and the Christ in the New Testament. They were waiting for this rescuer to come to their aid and deliver them. Listen afresh to the words of Isaiah the prophet as you hear the story of the coming rescuer spoken 700 years ago. Listen as I read Isaiah chapter 11. You can follow along in your Bibles or behind me. Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity, fairness, for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Skip down to verse 11. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations. He will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. 13. Also the envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, and the people of Ammon shall shall obey them. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. And with His mighty wind, He will shake His fist over the river and strike it into seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. There will be a highway 
for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria. As it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt, chapter 12, and in that day, in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. We read this quite differently when we read this from the eyes of an 8th century exiled Israelite. And when they heard this prophecy, if they were privileged enough to have heard it, if they were privileged enough to have caught word, perhaps by oral tradition, Isaiah the prophet has said this, Oh, what news of joy would come to their ears. I want to walk you through this prophecy. And I want to give you a picture of what it would have been like to hear it from 722 B.C. Verse 1. Verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Verse 1 describes the heritage, the origin of the rescuer. The origin of the rescuer. It says, A rod will come from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Jesse, the father of King David, the greatest of all the kings of Israel, When an Israelite heard that King David, a man like King David is coming, but even greater than King David, that perked their ears. They knew right away, ah, we're speaking of the Messiah. But you see, the line of King David had been squandered. And so you see behind me in verse 1, you notice it it indicates that a rod will come from the stem. That word literally means stump. It's been chopped off the line of King David as Israel has split into two, Israel and Judah. As the kings of Israel and Judah have failed their nations repeatedly and turned their back on the Lord, they've been cut down. It is now a stump, a stem. But something's going to come from that stump. Someone is going to come from that stem. A rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. This is a continuation of the forestry metaphor you'll find at the end of chapter 10. The nation of Israel who has been promised a king who would surpass even the greatness of David. They were waiting. And they were hearing now that he would come even from the stump of Jesse. The king would rise up. And what would characterize this rescuer? Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Friends, this is the spirit of God without measure upon the anointed one. What would characterize this rescuer? He would 
embody and possess and be indwelt by the Spirit of God. He would be filled with wisdom and understanding. And these descriptions here are not happenstance. They are not coincidental. Wisdom and understanding, the antithesis of that of King Pekah of Israel and King Ahaz of Judah. No, this king would not be like them in wisdom and understanding. He would be so much greater. Filled with counsel and might, spirit of counsel and might. This in particular has to do with the language of a battle, of warfare. Might in particular describes that this king would be a mighty warrior. This king would not fail in battle like King Pekah of Israel. And eventually Judah would also fall. This king would not fail in battle. Filled with knowledge, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That is in awe and a respect for the God of Israel. What will be life like when this rescuer comes? I'm in exile in Assyria. I have been taken from my land. And yet, I'm still faithfully holding on to the hope of the rescuer. Tell me, Isaiah, what will life be like when he comes? Verse 3. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Here again, the antithesis of the kings of Israel. The king, king Pekah of Israel was rash in his judgments, was rash in his decisions. King Ahaz... Equally so. He gave of the gold and the silver of the temple a total affront to God. And he gave that gold and silver away to the king of Assyria for help. This king, this rescuer, would not put his people in jeopardy like King Pekah and King Ahaz. No, he would fear the Lord. He would not judge by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears. That is to say, he would not judge whimsically. He would be prudent in judgment. And in verse 4, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, that is afflicted, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth that is exploited. The word meek there doesn't, uh, doesn't amplify what Isaiah is saying here. He's saying he is going to restore the exploited of God. When the Messiah comes, He is going to judge fairly on those who are poor, afflicted, and exploited. How do you think an 8th century Israelite in exile responded to such words? I would venture to say that they would respond with a deep and mighty sense of vindication, of joy, of relief. Finally, there is coming a king who will not lead his people astray. Do you resonate with their joy? But what about the Assyrians, Lord? 
What about those who, who took me into slavery? What about those who has taken me, have taken me into bondage? What will you do to them? What will you do to your enemies, Lord? Continuing on in verse 4, He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Vindication. Vindication. The faithful remnant taken to Assyria on account of the faithlessness of their kings and countrymen, God would not forget their loyalty. His anger has a limit. And the same nation He used to discipline Israel and to discipline Judah, that same nation God Himself would destroy on account of their wicked ways. Isaiah 10, 24-26, Do not be afraid of the Assyrian. He shall strike you with the rod and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt. For yet a little while and the indignation will cease, as will my anger in their destruction, that is Israel's destruction, and the Lord of hosts will stir up a scourge for him, Assyria, like the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. As his rod was on the sea, so he will lift it up in the manner of Egypt against Pharaoh. And do you recall in Revelation 19 what Jesus does to His enemies? The rod, the sword that proceeds from His mouth to devour and destroy them. Friends, the Scriptures do not have such parallels by coincidence. God is not going to forget those who are His enemies and who afflict His people. Back to Isaiah 11. There is a kind of culmination that we are approaching now. The coming rescuer of Israel is going to usher in a whole new era. Though God's people have been scattered in exile, the Messiah is planning a very large reunion party. A reunion like no other. Let's pick it up in verse 11. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set His hand again the second time to recover the remnant of His people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. In that day. In that day. Always an indication in Scripture of a new era. A coming day of the Lord, if you will. A coming day of vindication and redemption. And in that day, in the day of the reunion, the Lord shall set His hand again the second time. What was the first time? Pulling them out from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. Now will come a greater time, a final time, a final regathering, a final reconstituting of Israel from the far-off regions of the ancient Near East. He will gather them from Assyria to the north and from Egypt to the south. 
He will gather them from Pathros in Upper Egypt to Cush in Lower Egypt, from Elam to Shinar, from Hamath in the northeast to the islands of the sea in the Mediterranean, wherever they are, wherever they have gone, wherever they have been exiled to, wherever the faithful remnant remains, God is going to bring them back. And He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble all the outcasts of Israel and will gather together the dispersed of Judah from every corner of the earth. Believing in faithful remnant, wherever you have gone, I will bring you home, says the Rescuer. Verse 13, also the envy of Ephraim shall depart. Ephraim, another word for Israel. The adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. And Ephraim shall not envy Judah. And Judah shall not harass Ephraim. The people of Israel, once separated by civil war, would be one people again. The enmity between them would be forsaken in that day. They would be at peace. No more civil war. No more godless kings. No more of a nation that turns its back on the Lord. The rescuer will restore unity to Israel. And not only would He restore unity, but He would raise them up in prominence again as the light of the nations that He has always intended Israel to be. Verse 14, They shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, and the people of Ammon shall obey them. When Israel is united again, when the Rescuer comes and reestablishes them, she will again become the leader among the nations that God has always intended for her to be. Formerly overcome by pagan nations, Israel will again rise to prominence as the Lord's ambassadors to all the earth, just as He intended back in Abraham. God intends, I I, I cannot stress enough, God intends for Israel to be the leader among the nations. And that is not a, a metaphorical interpretation in Scripture. I do not believe that to be the case. I consider myself a dispensationalist. And what that word means is that I see a clear and present distinction between the church, what we are today, and what Israel will be in the future. God has not abandoned Israel. The church is certainly not Israel. Israel will again encounter the favor of God. And if I, if I may just spend a moment on a rabbit trail, if there is one thing I am most proud of as a citizen of my country, the United States of America, it is that my country has been unswerving in its support of the state of Israel. 
Friends, it is not simply happenstance. It is not coincidence. I say very clearly, it is not coincidence that Israel lost its land for nearly 2,000 years and were dispersed across the globe. And in 1948, the only nation ever, ever to be reconstituted again, the nation of Israel was reformed. Friends, that is not coincidence. Isaiah and all of Scripture is clear. Israel will return to her land. The land will be reunited with its people. And Israel will be restored to prominence. And she will one day be the light of the nations that God has intended for her to be since Abraham. I fear that Christians today are losing sight of that. Are losing sight of our earnest desire to protect and defend the nation of Israel. And I urge us never to do so. We, it only takes a quick look on the news to hear a madman in Iran who said last year, Israel must be wiped off the map. Friends, as it was in 722 B.C., so it is today. Israel has enemies. And we, as a church, and as a people, and as a country, we need to be fierce in our protection of God's people. Back to our text. It was a quick rabbit trail. Verse 15. We're concluding now, getting to the very end. Coming to the end. Verse 15. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. With His mighty wind, He will shake His fist over the river and strike it in the the seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. And there will be a highway for the remnant. Of his people. A highway for the people who will be left from Assyria, as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. A beautiful, poetic picture of the reunification of God's people. From the Sea of Egypt, that is the Red Sea, to the south, to the river, that is the Euphrates, to the northeast, the remnant of Israel, previously dispersed, will return to their land as on a great highway. Hearing this prophecy from 8th century B.C., exiled ears, do you hear it differently? Do you hear it differently? Do you respond differently to these words? It is only natural that we find this response at the end. Chapter 12, verse 1, and all of chapter 12. But just verse 1 for today. And in that day, oh, in that day, you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. In that day, in that new era, the day of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to rule and reign among the nations, in that day I will praise you. Literally, I will lift my hands to you. How interesting. While formerly in chapters 9 and 10, it was said three times that God's hand was stretched out still against them. And yet in Isaiah 10.25, but his anger has ceased. And now the people of Israel 
I will praise you. Literally, I will lift up my hands to you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. How interesting. While formerly the Lord was angry with Israel, so now his anger has ceased and he comforts his people again in the person of the Messiah, the rescuer of Israel, Jesus Christ. Friends, the story of Christmas is the story of a rescue. A rescue mission like no other. God sent His Son Jesus to earth to rescue mankind from sin and from death. The baby born in Bethlehem came to die for the sin of the world. That God's anger might be appeased. And that that man, sinful mankind could once again have an opportunity to be restored to God by believing in the name of that Rescuer, by believing in Jesus Christ. And friends, that rescue is not over. The rescue mission is just underway. Virtually all of what we have read today in Isaiah chapter 11 is yet to come. Christmas has come in part. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, He rescued us from sin. When He comes again, what we've read today will be the fulfillment of that rescue. When He came 2,000 years ago, He brought spiritual rebirth at His first advent. At His second advent, At Christmas part two, he will bring final restoration to Israel and everlasting peace and justice. I ask you today, have you been rescued? How can I be rescued? Believe in the name of the rescuer of Israel. Believe in Jesus Christ for redemption. And you will be rescued. You will be saved. It is simple and it is clear. And to those who have been rescued, but perhaps you are in some way feeling abandoned. Perhaps you resonate, if only in part, with a sense of exile in your life, a sense of hopelessness, a sense of abandonment from perhaps family or friends. I don't know what you may be going through. I don't know what kind of an exile experience you may be walking through even today. But I can assure you that Jesus is the great rescuer. He loves you and He came to earth that you might have an abundant life with God forever. And when He comes again in just a short while, for Christmas part two, you are going to experience the abundant blessing of God. I say very clearly there there is hope. You are not abandoned. Do not despair. God does not abandon people of faith. He is well aware of the believing remnant. And He will return to rescue them. And that is a good cause 